As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the strangest athletic football show that I think we've ever recorded. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is Lindsay Jones. Lindsay, how are you? I'm good, although, look, like two weeks ago, we did NFL Coaches Fight Club, and last week we did quarterbacks as Thanksgiving side dishes. So if this is the weirdest, I mean, the bar was pretty high. So it's not about the content here. It's about the <laughs> circumstances. Just sure. full disclosure, it is 5.16 p.m. Eastern. It is halftime of a football game on a Wednesday. We're recording this because the only time we could do it, and I never assumed that we would have to negotiate around a football game on a Wednesday afternoon, not only because there's a game going on on a Wednesday, but because (laughs) the tree lighting ceremony preempted a primetime slot for the NFL game. It's a 30-rock plot. It really is. I'm pretty sure Jack Donaghy had to worry about when the tree lighting would be because it was preempted by an NFL game. I guarantee you I saw that at one point. Are you going to watch the tree lighting ceremony? I am not going to watch the tree lighting ceremony. Uh, That's not something that I'm typically worried about. I can't believe they're still doing it considering we're in the middle of a pandemic. And that's where we're going to start today, Lindsay Jones. We are back to the COVID hour at the start of this Thursday show because this week has been absolutely, I mean, it's been wild. And there are so many questions that I have and you are so well-versed in this that I think just kind of having us go down some of those questions would be the best use of this time. So as we sit here during this Wednesday afternoon football game, can you explain to me why this game was pushed back and pushed back and the Broncos had to play without a quarterback on Sunday? Yeah, and that question has been asked a lot. Um, the The simplest answer is that they're not apples to apples, that they are treated as completely different situations, even though they're both COVID-related. But the reason that this Ravens-Steelers game was pushed from Thursday to Sunday to Monday to Wednesday we was because of... There was no the Tuesday continu- in there? Never had a Tuesday? I don't believe there was a Tuesday. Or was there a Tuesday? No, there was a Tuesday. Uh, there does, was not a Monday. <laughs> there was really no Monday. Matter. It went Sunday to Tuesday to Wednesday. Um, can I get a Friday? Can I get a <laughs> Thursday morning? Um, I said it earlier so- today. I think in, when I was younger, there would have been a time where I would have loved football on a Wednesday afternoon. But now that I have it, I don't want it anymore. I mean, it's... It's kind of fun. I, I don't know. I mean, it's messed up my whole 
week. I feel completely discombobulated. But but bottom line, the real the reason why they moved this game as many times as they did was because the Ravens had nine straight days of somebody or multiple people within the organization returning positive COVID tests. So that was a sign to the NFL, all of their medical experts, the team's medical experts, that there was still ongoing transmission of the virus, Mm -hmm. that it was not contained, that this outbreak was still ongoing. So that was the reason that they kept pushing this game, because they couldn't risk additional people getting it, the people that they might come in contact with the stadium, and then certainly spreading it to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, That's been the one thing that has gone right in this disaster of a season is that there hasn't been spread between teams during games yet. So that's the reason that why this game was moved. It's the same reason that uh, the Steelers, I mean, uh, the Titans games were moved earlier this season. One of those games obviously did impact the Steelers. It was actually the very first game that got moved um, way back. I believe it was week four. But they've been pretty clear that this was going to be their plan, the NFL, that if there was any reason to believe that there was still ongoing transmission, that that's why they would postpone or reschedule or move games. The Broncos situation, they didn't believe that there was any indication of ongoing spread. The reason that the Broncos lost all of their quarterbacks was because of the contract tracing protocols. There was one of their quarterbacks, Jeff Driscoll, who tested positive on Thursday, which was two days after the the guys got together for a quarterback's only film session, and they were lax on their protocols during that meeting. So the NFL really looked at it as a situation as the, the rules were very clear. You guys broke the rules, meaning the quarterbacks broke the rules, and that there were other stipulations in place that the Broncos could have used that would have prevented that situation, like isolating a quarterback or making sure if you're the organization, you're, you know, the the president of that team, you're John Elway, you are Vic Fangio, that your quarterbacks know there's a risk that if they're all hanging out together, that they could all be uh, ruled ineligible if, if one of them were to test positive. They didn't isolate a quarterback. Blake Bortles was not put in a bubble. Bubble Bortles is um, a whole other thing that we should. Ex- they're going to do this now. The Vic Fangio learned his lesson. They're going to. Ice I was Blake shocked Bortles. when he said they weren't going to do it. Well, yeah, he was asked on Monday afternoon if they were going to do it. And he was like, no, as long as we follow the protocols, I think we'll be fine. And I was like, well, maybe you should just do it. Just it in doesn't case. make any sense to not do it. There's no reason to not do it. Especially and, after what just happened. I, it would have shocked oh, exactly. me if they and, wouldn't have taken those precautions. And other teams are now. I mean, there were a handful of teams that were already doing it. And now we're seeing a couple other teams that are realizing like, oh, crap, we probably should do this too, like just in case. All of the intensive protocols that the league has mandated over the last couple of weeks were really to prevent this exact type of situation. It's to prevent guys from hanging out without their masks on together, because almost all of the cases that the league has seen um, have not been from spreading during practices or, like I said, spreading during games. It's been from guys eating meals together. Guys hanging out in the locker room together, certainly guys getting together to watch film and maybe any number of these things, you know, um, you know, riding in cars or, you know, so that's really why this happened. Um, I, I live in Denver. I, if you listen to this podcast for a while, I think you know that I was at the game on Sunday. I've talked to a lot of people within the Bronco or Broncos organization. I've been doing some local radio hits and locally there definitely feels like there's this conspiracy theory against the Broncos and that they were, you know, the title hopeful Broncos, this one game against the saints was going to make or break their season. Well, well, so in that, well, that was part of it. It was like, well, it was just, you know, the Broncos aren't competitive, so they were going to make them do it. They wouldn't have made the chiefs, 
play. They wouldn't have made, you know, some other really good contending team. You know, they wouldn't have made Aaron Rodgers play or, you know, what a marquee quarterback was out. They would have made a, an, an exception. And I don't Lamar Jackson's definitely playing today. Right. Well, see, I, I, yeah, exactly. And like Cam Newton missed a game, you know, back when the Patriots were actually still pretty competitive. And I don't believe that that's the case. I don't believe that they were making an example out of the Broncos. I think they were just showing that they were going to adhere to the policies that were pretty explicitly laid out and that were approved by ownership. And they weren't going to make an exception for the Broncos. And of course, the Broncos wish they would have made an exception for them, right? They wish they would have pushed the game back. Um, If they'd pushed it 24 hours, Kendall Hinton could have had one practice. If they would have pushed it 48 hours or done a Tuesday afternoon kickoff, then Drew Locke could have played. But they just weren't going to do that. And now this is the lesson for the rest of the league that there aren't going to be exceptions. It doesn't matter who you are, what the situation is. So on a broader level, everything that's happened in the last week, I was looking at some of the numbers and I believe you know, there's something like 550, these aren't exact, but about 550 total cases over the course of the year. And I think more than a quarter of those has happened in the last week. So with that in the rear view and with this now kind of the overall climate that we're talking about with regard to the league finishing the season in a smooth way, is anything going to change? I know you were on some calls today. How has the last week informed the league's thinking and whatever protocols may exist or may change moving forward? I don't think a ton is going to change. <laughs> Shocking. And I think the uh, yeah, exactly right. I mean, if it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, but it's broken. That's the it's problem. Broken. It's broken. Breaking news. Um, but so they have very clearly laid out this plan that they believe that through these intensive protocols through this aggressive contact tracing, they can get the games in within this 17-week framework. And they'll continue moving games from a Thursday to a Sunday to a Tuesday to a Wednesday, whatever it is that they can do to get it within that week's framework. There's a lot of other dominoes that will fall and get to the postseason. I think the one thing that this week, and not even just this week, but just really what's going on around the country and the rising cases everywhere and the realization that as much as they want to have these own little virtual bubbles or whatever, that that those don't it's exist. Nonsense. You, it's nonsense. You, You're lying yeah, you, to yourself. Yeah. I mean, you can't. they cannot keep the virus from coming entering their buildings as long as Everybody is living at their homes and going to the grocery store and having nannies watch their children and all of those sorts of things that everybody does in their regular lives. The one thing that I think will be interesting is if they make some sort of change for the postseason. Um, Roger, what's your feeling on that? I could see the individual team bubbles happening. I still think a playoff bubble is a very, very long shot. Uh, Roger Based Goodell, on what Goodell said today, that makes sense, right? Yeah. I mean, he was asked multiple questions, multiple direct questions about what are your contingency plans for the uh, for the postseason. Um, I think, believe he was asked directly, like, would you do a bubble? And he really threw cold water on the idea of a bubble the way that we talk about a bubble, you know, when sure. you think about the NBA or the NHL or the WNBA or those type of bubbles where it's everybody in, broadcasters, coaches, players, um, literally nobody in and out except for some service workers generally. That's the NFL does not want to go down that road. They've talked about it. They've kept it on the table, but it is not something they want to consider. Is it just about logistics? I mean, I think that's part of it. I also think they are not confident that it would actually work 
for the NFL just because of like the scope of it that they wouldn't yeah. be able. And that I guess that is the logistics that they wouldn't the be amount, able yeah, to. The scope and the amount of people and having to, to get everything going in the same direction is just so much of a. It's an unwieldy yes. proposition in the way that it might not be for a different sport. But what they could do is the individual team bubbles, which is, mm-hmm. you know, you take the Kansas City Chiefs, you put them all at the Plaza Marriott, uh, you know, they're in Kansas City, you shut down the entire hotel, they only leave to, you know, to take team buses back and forth to Arrowhead Stadium for practice, no families, no food service. I mean, it was that you make your own individual team bubble. Could a there team would still do be- that on its own volition? Um they could not at this point they couldn't mandate it for players the players association the yeah, yeah players would have to agree to it um at this point we're only we only have what 5 weeks left in the season it could happen it wasn't something that was really a legi- uh, a realistic possibility when we were in early october really because it was just so much more time um the hard part now is that you know could you know i think there's a lot of players on contending teams that would probably say okay We'll we'll do that now. Yeah. Are you going to get the Jets to do it? You know what I mean. Like this is more of a playoff do- conversation to me. Yeah. Like if the Chiefs are sitting there and it's the it's the divisional round and Patrick Mahomes, if he gets COVID, it it changes the entire complexion of your season. You don't, you don't want to see Chad Henney in the AFC Championship game. I'm sure a lot of teams <laughs> do want to see Chad Henney in the AFC Championship game, but I, I, just I don't. Think that, that I, I'm surprised that the league isn't making a more concerted effort but i think you're exactly right this is a we don't make decisions until we have to sort yes. of organization yes and that is has been abundantly clear through this entire pandemic dating back to march when we kept asking about well what's the draft going to look like what's the summer going to look like what's you know what's the regular season going to look like and they did not want to make they pushed events one by one. You know, they didn't even formally like cancel the off season, like you know the the idea of in person mm-hmm. OTAs until like middle of June. I mean, they literally waited until there was maybe technically one week left until they were like, okay, it's going to be all virtual. So they really are kicking this thing down the road and trying to go as long as possible before they have to enact any of the the more significant changes. The week eighteen is probably the best or one of the biggest examples of that right now, where we've known all along that that was an option, that that was probably their um, their most clear contingency plan for if they needed to cancel or reschedule games. And here we are, December 2nd, and they have not yet done that. And if they weren't going to do it for this Steelers-Ravens game, it's hard to picture a scenario where they're going to say, okay, yeah, let's do week 18. It's really the only rationalization they have of doing this stuff and playing these games in the way they have that on-field transmission is not a concern because I don't understand how you can say that player safety is a priority and do what they're doing unless you're just trumpeting the fact that we have not seen any transmission during these games. Well, it's, it's just a really difficult thing to wrap your head around, right? Because you can talk about health and safety when it comes to COVID, right? And you can, they can talk about, I mean, Dr. Alan Sills on this conference call this afternoon said that they were confident after today's test results, you know, they got the PCR results from yesterday's tests, um, had those results. And then everybody did the the rapid test today, which the rapid tests are only really good if you are doing the daily testing like the mm-hmm. NFL is. He said, we are absolutely confident that there's nobody infected that will be on the Raven sideline today. That's a pretty bold statement to say, given what we know and what we have learned about the incubation period. Um, so 
seems a little dicey to kind of go there. Even, we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, the Steelers put Marquise Pouncey on the COVID list this afternoon, but like even, an hour before even kickoff. Even if we concede that, even if we concede that the co- whatever, there's no positive test, on-field transmission is yeah. a concern. Kendall Hinton was in harm's way. Well, on yeah. Sunday. So that's the. I mean, that's the real dichotomy here, right? Is you can talk about health and safety when it comes to COVID specifically, but what about everything else? I mean, this was the big concern that the Ravens had, and the NFL Players Association had was bringing in a whole bunch of guys to play a football game on a Wednesday afternoon with one practice in about two weeks. So they haven't been on the field. They haven't been in the weight room um, with a lot of guys who have not played. I mean, they had to call up something like 14 guys off of their practice squad to just to play this game. So they're subbing in different, you know, it's a new center, different, you know, rearranging the offensive line. They have new players all over the field that have never practiced together at those positions. So that's a significant health and safety the Steelers issue. defense. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I mean, it doesn't Hinton, matter who it plays, but, I, but it doesn't matter yeah, who they're playing. Not great. It shouldn't not matter. Great. But as I'm watching that game and watching the first half, the, the, Steel, the Ravens acquitted themselves just fine. I was actually kind of surprised, but there are moments where you just see the pocket collapsing and you almost feel concerned for RG3 in some of these moments with how many moving pieces they have on that offense. And I felt the same way about Hinton on Sunday playing against the Saints. Yeah, and he, you know, he ended up coming out, you know, of that game okay. Philip Lindsay actually ended up Thank leaving God. the game at halftime with like a tweaked knee. They think it'll be mm-hmm. okay. I think it was, you know, a little bit more precautionary that they pulled him. I watched him real closely through my binoculars, like trying to like work it out and figure out if he could play. But yeah, I mean, Philip Lindsay shouldn't be taking 20 direct snaps a game, you know, especially against a Saints defense that was you know, able to completely sell out to stop the run because there was zero threat of a pass. So that's one of the hardest things to grapple with right now is the the competitive issues, the health, the actual health and safety issues of the guys that are playing in these really potentially unsafe situations. And there is no good answer for that other than the NFL is just saying, we're going to make this work and we're going to get through this season. And if there are injuries along the way, if there are games that get moved to 340 on a Wednesday afternoon, so be it. We're going to we're going to get to that Super Bowl on February 7th. And I just don't understand why that has to be the case. I still don't. Ha- I still have not received a decent answer from anybody. About well, there's why there's a lot of money. Well, what, I, mean, I think how, that's probably the basic. The mo- so, of course, that's and that's the easy yeah. answer. Money is always the driving yeah. force behind this. But I practically want to know how much money is lost by moving things to week eighteen if there is a week eighteen. Yeah, Why, and I don't. Wh- how I much don't money is? Either, and I don't yeah. know the answer to that either. And that's I'm not. I'm not putting this all on you. I think that that's an unknowable question at this point because they probably don't want us to know the answer because if there was a tangible way we could see the difference and it was negligible, I think you'd have a lot of people being like, what are you doing here? I think that question is valid anyway, but I just have not gotten any sort of substantial response or any sort of real yeah. answer as to why that's not possible. Why? Yeah, I mean, the, I th- if the Super Bowl gets played two weeks later, it's still the Super Bowl. You still get all that TV money. Yes. I, so I just don't understand it. And I maybe that's just a gap in my own knowledge, and I should probably be asking more questions than I have, but I still have not gotten a decent answer. The one other thing, too, and this is not a good... I, I mean, I don't think it's a rational or reasonable explanation for why they keep continuing to plow forward, but the NFL is so has been this whole time so big on like the message that they're sending, and we can do this, and we believe that we can make this work, and... They, they, I don't know if it's stubbornness 
or naivete or whatever it is, but they- It's hubris. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, ab- yeah. that's absolutely what it is. And, you know, I don't know, like outside of the, the true bubble formats that the NBA and NHL did this summer and into this fall that worked great, um, but they're not going back into those situations. So there's no indication that, you know, in the NBA, they're just getting started, what that's going to look like when they're not in bubbles and they're, I have no idea, you know, college basketball is going through a lot of issues already and they're only a week into their season. College football abides by a whole bunch of different set of rules um, and policies. And, you know, there've been something like 90, 90 plus college football games that have been canceled or rescheduled. And who knows if bowl season is going to happen and trying to figure out like, can Ohio state get to enough games to get like, like this whole thing is a mess. And all these sports are just continuing to say, we can do this. We can make it work. And so many questions about responsibility and the ethics of it. And our, you know, we're, we're enjoying, you know, this is our jobs, right. Is to talk about football and the games and try to make it normal. But at the same point, it's not normal and does feel kind of Vicky, especially as the situation around the country just keeps getting worse. It's a big and it's a really big question, and I don't want to get into all of that right now. I think that the if the PA and the league come to a decision that they think this is safe and they think it's the best way forward, then the players have theoretically had a voice in that decision, even if some of the players, I assume, are apprehensive about that choice and don't feel like they had a proper say and a voice in the process. But it's not about whether the season should happen, whether the game should happen. That has clearly been decided on because it's mutually beneficial for both sides. It's can you with do you have enough flexibility built into where that we're going to finish the season approach to keep everyone safe? And I just don't think they've taken the steps necessary to fulfill that side of it. I think you can still want to play because there's so much money at stake on both sides. College sports is an entirely different conversation. But with with this, I can understand that argument. But even within the framework of that argument, it just seems like there would be a way to move some things. Maybe they don't think that's beneficial. Maybe I'm not seeing the whole board like they are. I Maybe I'm just talking out of my depth here. But I still just think there would be ways to do this where this ardent commitment to we're going to follow the schedule as it goes because that's how we're going to do it. That just seems silly to me, but I shouldn't be surprised by that line of thinking from the NFL at this point. All right, let's get into the actual games this week. These are a lot of teams we've talked about a lot on this show, but they're also some of the only games that are decent on the Sunday slate. We've gotten to week 13 where half of the teams in the league don't really matter. And we spent yesterday with Charles McDonald talking about their plans moving forward. We'll get into a couple of those teams today. But as far as the games of the week go, Browns and Titans. So these two teams are eight and three. The Browns, a very surprising eight and three. I mean, we could be looking at serious implications in this game in the AFC wildcard hunt, potentially, if the Titans somehow don't win that division, the Colts sneak back up and grab it from them. So, Lindsay, we talked a lot about the Browns with Zach Jackson yesterday. Do you, How much faith do you have in this team? And not only in this game, but just for the rest of the season. I mean, they're 8-3, and three, but they're... I believe like 19th or 20th in DVOA, they have the Pythagorean, they have a negative point differential. Their Pythagorean wins are like 5.3. This is not an eight win team, but sometimes your record is what you say you are. Yeah. I mean, I, I have faith right now that they're going to be a playoff team. I think when you look at the field, I'm not ready to 
put them anywhere near like the elite teams in the AFC and the teams that you would actually list as having a chance to make it to the Super Bowl. There's so much to like about their long term, about some of the foundational pieces there. The one big questionable foundational piece, right, is Baker Mayfield. And you and Zach got into that a whole lot yesterday. If you guys haven't listened to that discussion yet, I highly recommend going back and listening to that because it was a really, really informative discussion about kind of really where Baker Mayfield is at. But but when you think about how do you win games in December and potentially in January, it's having a really good defense and they are getting Miles Garrett back this week, who is I mean, if he hadn't missed those couple games, I mean, he would be right in the middle of that defensive player of the year conversation. He's one of the absolute best football players, period, in the NFL. So you're getting back on a per snap basis. I think he's been you can argue that he's been the second best defense player in the league after Aaron Donald. Yeah, I mean, he's whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, he's and they've played pretty well defensively in the games that he was out. And now you're getting back. Thankfully, they're playing against the. Fair goals in a in a snowstorm. That's been the funniest part, and it's honestly kind of hard to judge this team because I was going back through. I went through all of Baker Mayfield's third down throws from the last five weeks today. So I spent my time, and it's (laughs) we need to to talk about how you spend your time, but that's (laughs) a whole other separate discussion. So I was just curious because you look at the the third down, you take away the play action element of it, and I was watching him and Tannehill because we'll get to, to why in a second. But you look at the schedule that they faced over the last month. The game against the Jags is the first time that they've really been able to play a normal weather in a long time. And in to a certain degree, that's a good thing for them. They're built to play this way. But yeah. I think they were excited to play a real game to see what their offense could do. So it's kind of it's a difficult team to figure out, not only because their record is incongruous with the way that they're playing, but also because the circumstances they've played in over the last six weeks have been really difficult to judge them on. Although the thing that they do best is their running game. And I think that's something that you can do all the time, anywhere, in any situation. So that's the one thing that gives me a little bit of hope is like, or reason to have hope in the Browns is that the thing that their identity is transferable. And I think that that identity, they can play that way against the Titans, just like they played that way against the Jaguars or the Eagles. Um, it might be a little bit more difficult once they play some better competition. And I believe they're still going to have to play the Steelers again. Um, and the Ravens again. And the Ravens again. And you know, Ravens defense. We'll see what the Ravens defense looks like when they get nine of their starters back. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I don't have the confidence that I have in them that I have in some of the other teams where I believe in their quarterbacks. But I am curious. I want to see if Baker can figure this out and if Stefanski can, you know, scheme up some stuff that is going to be work a little bit better for Baker and if he can kind of grow into this offense. But give me Nick Chubb highlights all day. I'll watch that. It's really funny because when I was prepping this and watching these two teams, it's really that Spider-Man meme of them pointing at each other. Yeah. I mean, they're they're built offensively in a really similar way. There are teams that rely on the running game and play action probably more than any other team in the NFL. So if you look at early down pass frequency, uh, the Patriots are currently the most run heavy team in the NFL on the chart. Stunning. Their little bar is hilarious. The Titans are number two. At The Vikings are three. The Browns are four. So that's where we're sitting. And that's not surprising at all. That's how these teams are built. And if you look at some of the other underlying numbers, it's kind of fascinating. Ryan Tannehill right now is the most efficient quarterback in the NFL on first and second down. Better than Patrick Mahomes. 
He is 15th on third down. Again, when the play action comes off the table. Baker is currently 20th on third down and 14th on first and second down. The gap is smaller, but there's still a gap. And if you look at the play action numbers, they are third and fourth in the NFL in the difference in yards per attempt with and without play action. It's the same thing. I mean, we're dealing with the same sort of circumstances here. The Titans are just a better version of it because Ryan Tannehill is a slightly better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. He can make plays with his legs. He's a little bit better under pressure. That's one of the biggest things I think to watch on Sunday. Baker without pressure this year has actually been okay. It's I think it's he's at eight uh, eight yards per attempt not pressure this year sixty seven percent completions sixteen touchdowns three interceptions with pressure forty percent completions four point two yards per attempt and the Titans don't really have a very good pass rush so it's really funny these teams are built in very similar ways I just think that the Titans have figured out that identity a little bit more and Ryan Tannehill is just a better playmaking quarterback right now than Baker Mayfield I think that's fair and I would probably pick the Titans if I were picking. Um, if I were picking the game right now, we'll see. We'll see who my daughter picks when I let her do her picks. That's all that really uh, matters. <laughs> her picks later. She has not realized that the Browns mascot is a dog. I think once that happens, oh, wow. it might be. It's over. It, yeah, it might be um, a completely different situation. I do like. I mean, I think if I had to pick one defensive player and the guy who I would trust for to make the kind of the game changing play on either team, I'd go with the Browns. There, you know, I'm not sure if the Titans have that guy that. You know, I would trust. So Jeffrey the, the Simmons key. did not practice on Wednesday. He might be out of this game. So that's another even consideration. If he's not in the middle of that defense, who knows how much the Browns can run wild here. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be a very interesting test for the Browns because this is one of their first games again after after the Jags game when they looked okay. You know, Baker had his moments and going back and watching those third down throws. I was more hopeful at the end of it than I was at the beginning of it. I, I was actually I wasn't impressed but I, there were some plays where it was like, okay, like he's getting the ball out on time. He's making some decent decisions. There are others where it's you just start scratching your head and wondering what's going on. There was a play against the Eagles where they ran double slants on a third down, which they do all the time to give him defined reads. And he passed up the slant on third and four and then rolled right and tried to hit the guy down the sideline, the same guy he could have thrown the slant to, but 15 yards down the field. It's like, you're making this harder on yourself than you need to. But there weren't that many of those. There weren't as many as I expected them to be. So I'm really curious to watch him over the back half of the season. And I think the same goes for the Titans just because I'm wondering how high their ceiling is. That game they played against the Colts last week was truly impressive. And if they can keep that rolling... I'm still looking for that team that can give the Chiefs the biggest run in the AFC. And I do think they have the pieces to become that team. I just don't know if they're there quite yet. I'm I'm with you. And like I said, I'll, I'll pick the Tennessee Titans. All right, let's get to our next game here. Again, two teams we've talked about a lot this year, the Rams and the Cardinals. But this is a huge game in the NFC playoff race. A loss drops the Cardinals to 6-6. Six and six, And they could potentially be tied with the Niners and the Vikings if those teams win this week. And those teams are trending in the right direction. The Cardinals, to me, trending a bit in the wrong direction. Over the last few weeks, their offense has still been decent. I think they've been 10th in EPA per play over the last three games. But that's a drop-off from where they were over the first half of the year. And against the Patriots, they just look disjointed. Their, Their passing game lacks rhythm. The Patriots did a great job of keeping Kyler in the pocket. And not making, not allowing him outside, not letting him make plays, getting hands in throwing lanes. And I have a lot of faith in the Rams' defense and their defensive staff to put together the right sort of plan. And I don't know. I don't know about you, Lindsay. I'm kind of worried at this point that the Cardinals' offense just 
isn't going to be able to get to that level that we thought they might be able to reach early in the year. Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, that stretch when they were really impressive, it was, you know, it was a blowout win against the Jets. It was blowing out the Cowboys when everybody was blowing out the Cowboys. And then that kind of crazy shootout against the Seahawks, which was, you know, a really fun game, but it wasn't exactly um, like a schematic piece of art or anything like that. And then they've lost, you know, the they've lost their last two games and haven't looked very impressive, haven't looked very um, put together on offense. So, yeah, I'm not sure if this is necessarily the week to get on track um, against a Rams defense that, look, they didn't play great last week against the Niners. It was They might want to burn some of that tape about what Nick Wallens was able to do. But I think I would give the Rams the edge here, just their better defensive players. And I do, you know, I've been really impressed with what Brandon Staley has done this year. I mean, I think he would be up there for in that coordinator of the year kind of conversation. So yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm definitely concerned about kind of the trajectory of the Cardinals offense, just given what we've seen over the last four weeks. I just don't, I mean, you look at the similar numbers we were talking about with the Titans and the Browns, the difference in Kyler's efficiency on early downs compared to late downs is kind of remarkable. He's 21st in the NFL in EPA per play on third down. He's among quarterbacks. He's seventh on first and second down. So when they're in defiant passing situations, if he's not making a play with his legs, they really do struggle in those high leverage moments. And I think that that's just them kind of figuring out their passing game to a certain degree. But I also just think they don't really know what they want to be in that area quite yet. And I think that you see that. And if you can get to him and, again, get hands in throwing lanes, push the middle of the pocket in a way that I think the Rams can, because the Patriots were doing a lot of games where they're having loopers come inside and just really trying to make his vision difficult. And I know that you can play quarterback as a shorter guy in the NFL now, but practically he's still very small and you can still disrupt his vision in a way that you can't with some of those taller guys when you're pushing the middle of the pocket. Breeze has always been that way. You know, it, and that's something that it's been part of his career. And I think that smart teams are going to try to do that. They're going to try to do everything they can to keep him contained on the outside and push the middle of the pocket. And I think the Patriots did a great job of that last week. And I think the Rams defense is smart enough to try a similar plan this week. Yeah, it felt like a very classic Bill Belichick. Just yep. I'm smarter than you. And this is what he does against one dimension, one dimensional offenses and one-dimensional quarterbacks. And that's not to say that Kyler Murray is one-dimensional, but their offense is very much predicated on letting him use his legs and Kyler go make some magic. And Bill Belichick is really, really, really good at taking away that sort of magic. And they also did the very classic Patriot style um, of defensive scheme against DeAndre Hopkins, right? I mean, you you put your mm-hmm. number one guy on the other receiver and you double up the the, the number one wide receiver. And they did a really good job of taking away their best receiver. And, you know, I think the Rams could do something very, very similar. Play action. It's interesting because play action is something that creates openings for receivers. It creates space by sucking linebackers up, creating movement, all that stuff. But I think for Kyler and Baker, it's it's helpful because it gives them space by booting those guys out and moving launch points, you allow them to see things a little clearer. I think with Baker, that's similar with the way they use empty out of play action, just giving him quick defined reads because, again, he's a little smaller. It's sometimes hard for him to see when there's a lot of traffic. And I, you saw that with Kyra last week when they're moving the pocket. He just looks more comfortable than when he's got to step up 
and just play within a confined space. So I think that's something to consider as you watch how defenses attack them here over the second half of the year. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, Lindsay, let's get to our favorite matchups of the week. Why don't you start? All right, so I'm really curious to see this kind of matchup, coaching matchup, what Sean Payton is going to do for week three of the Taysom Hill experience. This weird scheduling That's all in caps, by the way. Taysom Hill experiences with capital E. Yeah, that could be your fantasy football team name, your emo rock band (laughs) name. Um, It's such a weird scheduling quirk that Taysom Hill will have started three games. Two of them are against the Atlanta Falcons. The resurgent Atlanta Falcons. Right, well, I mean... Yeah, whatever it was that they did against the Raiders the other day, that was the most surprising outcome, I think, of um, of week 12. Was that week 12? We're still in week 12. Um, that was the most bizarre, the one that I kept looking up and going, is that for real? What is actually going on there? But I want to know what that game plan is going to be and what kind of their end goal is here for Taysom Hill, because I'm not sure if I've really learned anything in two weeks about who Taysom Hill is, what their long-term plan for him is, if he's any closer to becoming the heir apparent to Drew Brees besides the money that they gave him in this offseason. Because, you know, I think he played well in the first game against the Falcons. I also think that was a, um, the Falcons might not have been ready for some of it. And I think the reaction to Taysom Hill, like looking like a halfway competent quarterback was like, we overcompensated. We were, none of us were maybe, uh, accustomed to believe that he could do it so the fact that he like was able to you know complete some passes it was like oh my god he's a quarterback and then last week they go the complete opposite direction where they knew they weren't going to have to score very many points against the Broncos they told him to just completely be a game manager and he honestly didn't do that great a job of it and lest I get the Taysom Hill stands back in my mentions like I did on Sunday I'm opening myself back up to that but Look, he had multiple delay of game penalties when they did move into passing situations. Didn't look good. Um, He didn't handle pressure well. Yes, they were without Teron Armstead and Andrus Pete in that game, which doesn't help, but he didn't play great. Their passing game was extremely stunted. So I'm just so very curious what week three of this is going to look like for Sean Payton and if the Falcons are going to have a different plan and a better plan knowing that they're going to be facing Taysom Hill, where two weeks ago, Everybody thought they were going to be facing Jameis Winston until the very end of the week when Sean Payton, you know, never even announced it, but they made Taysom Hill their starting quarterback. So it's going to be an interesting kind of coaching schematic matchup there between um, Sean Payton and Raheem Morris, who 
I don't think he's playing for his job there. I, I just don't give Arthur Blank maybe the credit that he would actually really consider Raheem Morris to be a candidate for their full-time head coaching job. But I think he's putting himself in the position that he should be considered for other head coaching jobs, if not you know premium coordinator positions that'll come open in the next hiring cycle. I think they're, I mean, their defenses look great. Um, over the last three weeks, I think over the last four weeks, they're third in the NFL in EPA per play. Maybe that's partly playing Taysom Hill a couple weeks ago, but he actually looked good in that game. They destroyed the Raiders. And I think that it's been fun to kind of watch the transition this defense has made from a Dan Quinn defense that was a lot of cover three and you know, was pretty passive. They didn't blitz a ton. And then now they're setting a lot more pressure. They blitzed on more than 50% of Derek Carr's dropbacks last week. And it worked for them. And they're playing man coverage behind it. They're just playing really aggressive and fast. And I'll be curious to see if that can continue. I mean, we'll see if they're a little bit more aggressive against the Saints this week. They blitzed Hill on a third of his dropbacks the first time that they played. He actually did pretty well on those plays. I don't know if it, one of those fluky long field, long down the field throws is part of those stats, but I think he averaged 11 yards per attempt. So there's a chance they feel like they got burned on that last time and don't want to go that route. But it seemed like that style really worked for them when they played the Raiders last week. So I totally agree. I mean, they've been playing with a lot of energy on that side of the ball, and he deserves some consideration. If you've, It's not a head coaching job. Watching what he's done over the last few weeks here and what he's done, period, after kind of taking over the reins of that defense over the last year, I, I mean, he absolutely should be a full-time defensive coordinator somewhere when this is all said and done. And there are going to be a lot of defensive coordinator openings this year. It's going to be one of the most interesting things to watch um, mm-hmm. in the in January, what staffs are looking like. And we're going to call that the Brandon Staley effect. Yeah, exactly. And the effect that just record scoring around the league. And I, I think there's a lot of that stuff that's going to happen this year. I mean, ultimately, I think this game is going to be decided if the Saints defense is able to dominate like they did two weeks ago. And if the Rams off or and if the Falcons offense can look somewhat functional, they did not last time they played against the Saints. But from a matchup standpoint, I'm just very curious to see what Sean Payton is going to come up with. I, watching how this evolves over time is going to be definitely something to consider, especially when we don't know how long Drew Brees is going to be out. And the Saints are currently the number one seed in the NFC. Like This isn't a gimmicky, wonky kind of team. This is a team that absolutely is in the hunt to win a Super Bowl. So whatever happens with Taysom Hill and how long he's going to play that position are things to watch. So my matchup of the week is the Niners defense against the Bills offense. And it's for this reason. Robert Sala has done, in my opinion, one of the best coaching jobs of anyone in the NFL this year. And Richard Sherman said as much on Sunday. He used a phrase that I thought was very telling. He said that Robert Sala deserves an unusual amount of credit for the way that the Niners defense played on Sunday and has been playing this year. And that's a really good way to frame it because I think that's true. If you look at the amount of injuries that have happened on that side of the ball. If you open their pro football reference injury page, it's just a sea of red. I mean, it's horrifying. And they've gotten hit so bad in so many areas. The fact that they've lost D Ford and Nick Bosa and Jaquiski Tart has been out for, I think, since November 5th. And they're the number nine in the NFL in defensive DVOA and in EPA per play. They're number four over the last four weeks. This is one of the best defenses in the NFL right now. And if you watch them play the way they did against the Rams last week, that's not surprising. I went back and I watched that game today. 
And those guys are just everywhere. Jimmy Ward had one of the best games I can remember a defensive back having. Just in the hip pocket of so many guys on key downs, he was his play on Tyler Higby and man coverage helped cause that Richard Sherman interception that was early in the game. He was just everywhere, and it's not just him. You know, Jason Verrett has had a really good season for them. Guys like Kevin Givens, who's a waiver claim defensive lineman, is jumping off the screen when you're watching this team. Drake Green. Uh, Greenlaw and Fred Warner both played really well. I think that's extremely important when you're playing against a team with Josh Allen, who can move around as a quarterback. There's going to be a ton of play action, and they're using it at an extremely high rate. The way that those guys play in the middle of the field is hugely important to what this Niners defense is. Getting Richard Sherman back has been huge for them. He was awesome last week, and you just forget all the things he does, how smart of a player he is. His interception was just a fantastic play where he's reading back into the quarterback's eyes, even though it's not exactly part of his job. He made a tackle for loss as like the force defender on a certain play. They still have a lot of good players, and this team absolutely could make the playoffs. After everything that's happened to them, they could make the playoffs, and I just think that speaks so much to the job that Robert Sala and Kyle Shanahan have done. And like Richard Sherman said, this guy deserves to be a head coach in the NFL, and if you can't see that after what he's done with this group and having them marching in the same direction, I don't know what else you need to see from him. I think he's absolutely done a better job this season than he did last season when that defense carried them to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and he was a head coaching candidate last year, but obviously didn't get a job. And he and the guys that coach in the Super Bowl are at a disadvantage, I think, yep. sometimes for those jobs because of teams don't want to wait that long. They don't want to wait until late February. It worked for Kyle Shanahan that the, the Niners decided they would be patient and do it. Um, so more teams probably should, you know, jump at the guys who have gotten their teams to the Super Bowl and are, you know, coordinating Super Bowl caliber defenses or offenses. Um, but he's going to get serious consideration this year. I mean, I think some of the teams that already have openings, if he's not at the very top of their list, they would be crazy. And yeah, it is. I mean, he got a ton of credit last year, but you're a hundred percent right that he's doing a better coaching job this year. And that's somewhat of a shame that those, you know, the coach of the year type of awards and granted he is an assistant, but they so often go to like the new coach, the new hot coach of a team that makes this giant jump when really a lot of the best coaching jobs are the guys who have to do the most with the least. And it's this has just been a perfect reminder of how well coached they are, how good the scheme is. And last year, it was a perfect marriage of you had the best players and you had those guys healthy all year and really good coaching. And this year, they've really had to kind of piece this together. You know, but they really only had what the one that the Packers game was really the only one where they were just completely blown out right where they they didn't and have their a offense chance couldn't move the ball in that game i mean that's the yeah problem. Their exactly. offense was completely decimated so they've been they've put up a fight in every single one of these games and i think it's so easy for a team to shut down when you've had the amount of injuries that they've had and they just refuse to do it and again watching guys like ward and the way that he's playing and the injection of energy that, that richard sherman gave them it wouldn't surprise me at all if they made a late run here on the backs of their defense and possibly made the playoffs because I think they're playing at that high of a level right now. They're one of the best defenses in the NFL down in and down out over the last month of the year. Well, and speaking of weird COVID stuff in 2020, that game is going to be played in Arizona. Yes. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> oh, if it's not so, one thing, you know, it's they another. didn't have home field advantage at 
Levi Stadium anyways because the stadium was empty. But look, they're having to relocate. I mean, they're having they've literally packed up their entire facility into moving trucks this week and they're going to Arizona for three weeks. So it's just another weird thing that is happening this year and another team that would have a good case for saying we're getting screwed. And they kind of are. And that this isn't an NFL thing. This was Santa Clara County saying you guys aren't allowed to practice. Stanford has relocated to Washington, the state of Washington. Uh, the San Jose Sharks are having to figure out something, but it's just another weird thing that the Niners are going to have to going to have to deal with over the next month of the season as they try to make the playoffs. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, Lindsay, let's get to who has the most at stake in the NFL this week. Why don't you kick us off? I think you probably were hoping we could get through the whole podcast without talking about the Bears. But I'm putting everybody in that game, the Bears and Lions game, um, kind of at stake this week because... You know, the, the Lions, and I know you and Charles talked about this um, on yesterday's podcast too, so I don't want to get too, too deep into kind of where the Lions are going right now, but they made the massive change that we have all been kind of expecting, waiting for it to happen. Maybe a little surprised that it happened mid-season, um, but that Thanksgiving meltdown and just how terrible they were last Thursday, I think was really the final straw. I mean, that picture of ownership into the owner's box with... Um, Sheila Ford Hemp just like sitting there with her head in her hands and the mask on her face. <laughs> you just kind of knew it was knew it was over. But I just wanted I have I'm just so many questions about like who the Lions are, where they're going, what does the future look like for this franchise? Because if there's any team and fan base that deserves to finally have a little bit of hope, it's it's the Lions. And I think there's just a lot of questions that need to be answered about who they are this season. And what their future is with Matthew Stafford, if this is the guy that they want to keep building around, or if this is the complete teardown, you get what you can, you accumulate draft picks. So I want to know who they are. I want to see what they look like once Patricia is out of that building. I mean, the Daryl Bevel press conferences this week have been kind of a little ray of sunshine, you know, just this like moment of levity this week around Detroit that they probably haven't had. Uh, it's they so had interesting. Recently. Because Mitchell Trubisky was like in a really good mood today during his press conference. And I think that there's a certain weight lifted off you when you're no longer in a public enemy number one. Like in Trubisky's mind, everyone is trying to get Nagy and yeah. Ryan Pace fired. So now he is not the guy that is just the object of hatred for all of these frustrated Bears fans. And now it's everybody else in the building. So he's sitting there like, well, it doesn't matter what I do anymore. It's not he my was problem. objectively bad on Sunday. And no one is talking yeah. about him. He is not the problem anymore. And I assume there's a little bit of relief associated with that. And I guarantee you, Daryl Bubble is feeling the same way. 
And I kind of saw, yeah, I mean, the, they made the announcement, Matt Nagy made the uh, the announcement today that Mitchell Trubisky is going to start again. And it was kind of like, all right, well. It doesn't matter. It, it just right. doesn't matter. And that, that's so, the thing. It, I, it's, it's amazing. And that's, I, I'm so firmly in the, it doesn't matter what happens the rest of the year. I have made my decision about what should happen going forward with the Bears. If they get blown out by the Lions inevitable, on Sunday, right? it really does. It really does. And and I think that there are such parallels, not only between the... I've, I've made the parallels between the Lions and the Eagles, where you just see the same playbook. It's, all right, we need a different coordinator, and we need a different this, and we need a different that, and if we just go get some weapons, and you talk yourself into all of these things. And the Bears have gone through something similar. We need a different coordinator. Maybe if we change the play caller, it would work. We need just to shuffle the quarterback room. We need a new quarterback. And you go through this desperation handbook and you get to the end of it. And it's like, well, now what do we do? And I think the Lions and the or the Eagles and the Bears are in very similar spots with that with an offensive head coach. The Lions followed the same playbook on the other side of the ball. It's I just need I need one more man coverage corner. If I trade for Duran Harmon, that'll be enough. Let me go spend and get Jamie Collins in free agency because if we do that, I can run my defense. And if I can run my defense, I'll show you this vision that I've had for years and it'll come to fruition. And then it doesn't happen. And you're sitting there like, well, all right, well, now what do we do? Then you fire the coach and the GM. That, that's it's what you do. It's going to be so wild to see how the Lions rebuild that because they brought in, they spent a ton of money and they brought in a lot of guys that were very specific to what Matt Patricia wanted. And next year is going to be a really difficult year salary cap wise. So you're going to have to shed a lot of salaries. You're going to have to try to sign guys, but you're not going to have a lot of money to do so. I I don't I just, it's going to be really, really, really interesting. And if they get the seventh overall pick, let's say, Okay. And that one of those quarterbacks, so let's say two quarterbacks go in the top five and two are still sitting there. And so you've you got like, like Trey Lance or something. You there. like one of Trey Lance and Zach Wilson. I draft one of them if I like them. I think that's always the caveat. I don't think you just say draft a quarterback. You have to like the quarterback. If you like him, draft him. You put Chase Daniel out there. You let ah, Chase Daniel be. the Chase Daniel siren. You let Chase Daniel be the Lions starting quarterback in 2021. You shed as much salary as you possibly can. You let that guy sit on the bench for the entire year. You win two games, and then you sit there in 2022, have that guy come in after you can spend some money in free agency, you get another top five pick, and you say, this is what we're trotting out there. Yeah, you look at you try to look at how the Dolphins did it, and it's not yep. exactly on the same timeline as the Dolphins did it, but yeah, I mean, Chase Daniel, Ryan Fitzpatrick, not that much difference, right? And theoretically, if you lose enough games this year, you could be in a position to get the quarterback in year one instead of year two. And I don't think that should change when you play the quarterback. I've always said this. You should play the quarterback if you don't think it's going to be actively detrimental to his progress. I think you can make the argument that with the lack of weapons there and with how in flux that team is, there's a chance that when you start the year, the roster is such that it would be detrimental to his progress to put him in the game. So that that would be my only concern. But if their quarterback is there, you could trade a first-round pick for Matthew Stafford. I think you have to hit the reset button. That's what we said with Charles. I firmly believe that. The Bears, it's not nearly as clean of a rebuild <laughs> because they're not going to be in the top 10 most likely. They don't have a quarterback to trade away for a first-round pick. It's a lot messier and... If I keep talking about that, I'm just going to Wow. I mean, that's a, we, we went into a really dark place where you'd rather be the Lions than the Bears. That's Trust me. I, I mean, uh, I think if you were stacking it up, I'm writing about it for this week, so I don't want to step on it too much. But if you were stacking up the rebuilds, 
who would you rather be than the Bears? I mean, just about everybody. Just about everybody except the Eagles, I think, because the Eagles, it's the Carson Wentz contract. Yeah, and committing to a quarterback in that way, and the amount of contracts that the Eagles have doled out, the Eagles are like eighty million dollars over the cap next year. I mean, it's Yikes. it's brutal, yeah. and it, and it's really difficult to understand how they're going to do this. And I'm sure they can. Howie Roseman's a pretty good accountant, but I still think it's going to be a huge. Assuming how he keeps his job. Well, yeah, exactly right. I mean, he very well may not. All right, my most at stake this week is going to seem a little bit strange because he's been playing extremely well and. He can't really lose anything this week, in my opinion. But it's Aaron Rodgers, and it's for this reason. If they, if he plays well again against an Eagles team in the late afternoon slate and an Eagles team that everyone is paying attention to right now, I think he can start to build on the narrative from last Sunday and destroying the Bears in prime time. And I think he absolutely can win the MVP. He is playing statistically about as well as Patrick Mahomes is right now. It, there is not a big gap between them. So if you look at it, and these are not the end-all, be-all, but their, their numbers are shockingly similar. Mahomes is averaging 0.38, 0.387 EPA per play. Rodgers is 0.360. Mahomes is completing 71% of his passes. Rodgers is completing 71.9% of his passes. Their completion percentage over expectation is almost even. So statistically, they're pretty much on the exact same level right now. And it just seems to me like if that's the case by the end, and if the Packers were to steal the number one seed in the NFC, which is absolutely in play because they have the tiebreaker over the Saints. So if the Saints were to drop one of these games and Green Bay keeps rolling and they end up with the bye in the NFC and Rodgers and Mahomes are right there, I think it goes to Rodgers. Because I think people talk themselves into the story. Yeah. And I just, I want to make it, I don't want to not talk about Rodgers because he's Aaron Rodgers. I think that it can be too, we too quickly can just say, oh, he's Aaron Rodgers. He's great. This is not where we've been over the last three or four years. People were willing to throw dirt on Aaron Rodgers six months ago, let alone under the McCarthy era where they were struggling. I don't think people saw this coming and I want us to appreciate it. Because he is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. In my opinion, he is the most talented quarterback I've ever seen before Patrick Mahomes came along. And what he's doing right now and him getting back to this level, I just want us to pay attention to it and I want us to celebrate it because it's awesome. And it was hard for me to celebrate on Sunday because he was doing it to my team. But the, the game is a better place when Aaron Rodgers is playing the way that he's playing right now. And I just think that if he continues to do it, we could be looking at his third MVP award, and I honestly think maybe a legacy-altering type year because him doing it at this age, this late, it's his 37th birthday today, I believe. It's a different thing. Because, Happy birthday, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, right? Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones. It's just a different conversation about what his career is, in my opinion, getting back to this place after the dip he had over the last three or four seasons. I just think yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And we talk so much about how the MVP really is a narrative award. I mean, it's two things. It's a statistical award for quarterbacks. Um, if you want to win this award as a non-quarterback, you have to have a historic season. You have to you know, be well over 2,000 yards as a running back. 
that's about it. I mean, that's literally the only benchmark that we have kind of in the modern NFL for a non-quarterback winning or recent history for a non-quarterback to win this award. I mean, I'm not sure at this point if there's anything that could get a defensive player to win this award. So it's a statistical award and it's a narrative award because these storylines matter and who they are matters and what they've overcome and what their seasons have been like and who their teammates are matter. And you could certainly make the case if it is if it does end up coming down to Aaron Rodgers versus Patrick Mahomes and it's who's doing more with less, who is more, you know, quote unquote value to their team. Um, you could make, you certainly make that case for Aaron Rodgers given, you know, the lack of help that they have given him at the receiver position. You know, it's been very well documented. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to lean into that too much though. I think that's the, that's the narrative that will be pumped up. But I also think that in this entire conversation, like you said, how the coach of the year goes to the wrong people every once in a while. I think the, what he's put together over the last two years, I think we should talk more about what Matt LaFleur has done because it's so easy to say, well, he has Aaron Rodgers. So did Mike McCarthy. Yeah. I, I, it's, this was not a guarantee that if you had Aaron Rodgers, it was going to lead to success. And the offense that Matt, that Matt LaFleur has built consistently puts his players in the right positions. They, it is such a well-designed scheme. It creates space, these really creative ways. And Rodgers now has full control over it. You watch him at the line of scrimmage and the die. I talked about with Bakhtiari. The dialogue he's having with those guys and just the command he has. He has control of the sport again. Him and Mahomes, I think, are operating at a different level than those other guys are. And I think that Matt LaFleur's offense deserves some of the credit in that process. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it, it wasn't a seamless transition by any means, but we're we're here now. And sometimes it does take a second year, and especially in that type of scheme, right? Where we've we've definitely seen that with Kyle Shanahan when he's been it's the Matt Ryan thing. with a quarterback. It's the Matt exactly, Ryan 2016 right? thing. It's the same arc. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I think. The thing about Rodgers, when we now see him kind of reinvigorated in his career and paired with a coach that is a scheme that's working for him, is how many years were wasted and why we're why it's so great to see Patrick Mahomes with a coach who knows how to maximize yeah. his abilities. And just wondering what it'd have been like if Aaron Rodgers would have been with a more innovative and creative play caller for all of his prime years. It really it is makes remarkable. Me sad. I, it makes me sad too, but I love seeing this. And it, it really is remarkable the parallels between the Matt Ryan situation and what's happening with Aaron Rodgers right now. Because if you look back at the numbers in 2015, the Falcons offense was fine. But I think that there were a lot of creative philosophical differences between Matt Ryan and Kyle Shanahan. And I talked to Matt Ryan about this that year. I remember going down there to Atlanta around Thanksgiving when it looked like you know he had really taken a step forward and talking about the process of feeling that offense out with Kyle Shanahan. And Matt Ryan was really uncomfortable turning his back to the defense as much as you have to in that offense and playing under center as much as you have to. And there were certain aspects of it where there was a real conversation between him and Kyle about how the mechanics of the offense would work. And I think that Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan is a much more opinionated and fiery guy that I think people understand. Aaron Rodgers is kind of considered this you know, occasionally ornery person with a personality that's difficult to work with. Matt Ryan is not dissimilar to that. And I think the Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur have gone through a similar process. I don't know if there was ever tension between them, but I think creatively there probably was. Where you have this way that you've built this offense for so long, and now you have to play in this different way and play in a way that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, that can take a while to get used to. And I think that we've seen the exact same timeline 
unfold with with Rodgers that unfolded with Ryan with Kyle Shanahan. All right, Lindsay, that's all we got today. Our big question, I think, collectively is what's going to happen with the league over the next week. I think that's really the only question that matters at this point is where do the protocols go? How are these games going to get played? Do they get played? What the considerations are? So I know that's what we'll be watching. I'll be back on Sunday night with Nate. Until then, please rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Please take advantage of the Black Friday sale we have going on at The Athletic. A dollar a month for an entire year. It's running through Friday. You will not regret it. I promise you it'll be one of the best decisions you make this year and over the holiday season. Please get your Athletic subscription and read everything that the site has to offer. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back on Sunday. Talk to you later. This was the Athletic Football Show.